are you? It's so good to be here with you guys. I live in Eugene, and um, I always love coming up here to be with you guys on a Sunday morning. Uh, I'm, I'm a public school teacher. I'm a high school teacher. I teach social studies. And um, you know the three best things about public, uh, being a public teacher, right? They say June, July, and August. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so, so this is my this is my month. I don't want to rub it in. Some of you guys are probably rolling your eyes now. You public school teachers, you know. Um, well, I'm so privileged to be here, and we're we're going to be reading from the book of Mark. And so, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to that. Um, I will tell a, a quick little uh, introduction story here, though, that might help us frame this morning's message. Um, I have two sons. Uh, my oldest son will be 17 in in, in on August 27th. Uh, he's a really gifted basketball player. He's a sophomore last year. Um, and uh, when COVID first struck and everything got shut down, um, you know, he was really interested in just honing his craft and, and improving. He wanted to come out of COVID a much better basketball player than when he went in, which I admire his dedication to, to his passion. One of the cool things, and we feel really lucky about this, is my wife works for our church and we have access to a gym. And so he got to go practice and work out um, all throughout the shutdown, which was really nice for him. One of the days early in the pandemic when uh, he went down there, I went down there with him and we were just doing some drills. And one other thing you have to know, which is this is really bizarre. Any biology teachers in here, uh, professors can tell me how this happens. But my son is somehow seven inches taller than me. He's six five. I know it's really amazing. So he was a sophomore last year. He's, he, he's about this tall. And um, so he plays in the post quite a bit, which is down near the basket, if you don't know basketball. And so one of the things he wanted to work on was learning how to finish his shots better, like finishing a shot. So when you get the ball down low, a lot of times another big, strong, scary, frightening man will try to hurt you, okay? Um, so, um, so we were practicing him, you know, getting the ball down low, getting fouled, and then actually making the shot. And so we were doing this drill where he would drive down and I would just... I would just hack him as hard as I could. And I, I was no mercy. I was taking him down. And so we did 10, he was driving on the right side and then, and then laying up and I was fouling him. He ended up on the ground most of the time. And then we went to the left side and on our, on our second attempt on the left side, he was trying to finish with his left hand. I came down and my ankle landed, or my foot landed on top of his foot. And it, I rolled my foot, my ankle hit the ground um, and I had a, an incredibly, I, I have photos of it, but I, I don't want to, you know, I know most of you are going to be eating brunch after this and I don't want to ruin your appetite. My ankle was, it was like a rhinoceros's foot. Okay. Like it was, it was, it was enormous. Has anybody ever sprained their ankle really bad? And it's, it's gotten like enormous. And you're like, I, thankfully I didn't have to wear shoes for a number of months because it would have been, it would have been, I'm kind of serious. I don't exactly know what I would have done if I had to put shoes on. Um, so, uh, so yeah, you know, this, this, this was a, a fairly significant injury for me, one of, one of the worst physical injuries I've had, and it took months to get over. And um, I was thinking about that because as, as, as Reed shared, we're going to be reading from Mark 2 about someone who didn't have use of his legs. And um, my injury in comparison was, in, 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 uh, you know, insignificant, um, but, but it still disrupted my life in a major way. And I was thinking about this person. And he, you know, he had a serious um, situation where he didn't have use of his leg and legs. And I think that would be just a really challenging thing. So I just wanted to frame 
this by sharing that. Also, uh, one point of context too for the book of Mark. Um, Mark's a cool gospel, really interesting gospel and unique in many ways, in my opinion. Um, but, but one of the things that we see in the opening chapters of the book of Mark is just a number of stories about Jesus becoming famous. He was traveling around his area and he was impacting people's lives through his teaching and through his healing and through his messages. And, um, and, and Mark takes great effort, goes to great lengths to um, help the, his readers understand that Jesus was growing in fame. If you'll notice, and you can just do a quick scan if you want to through I'm talk- while I'm talking, you'll see a bunch of comments about crowds of people, followers of Jesus. They're all following him around. And Jesus even sometimes is trying to sneak away and the crowd will notice like, oh, there he goes. Like, let's go follow. You know, and Jesus is like, I want some alone time. Okay, um, I just imagine him saying that. But, but yeah, so, he, so he, um, he finds himself at the center of kind of like this movement. Um, a lot of people are paying attention to him. Um, and, and, and in this story, there's, there's a, I wanted to read this story with sort of through a lens. And the way I read the Bible often is I'll, I'll kind of read the, the verses and I'll try to envision myself in, in there. Is there anything I have in common with the people I'm reading about? And so there's, there's going to be uh, three different groups of people we're gonna, or persons that we're going to look at this morning. And I want to invite you to kind of consider with me this morning do I have anything in common with, with one of these people or groups? Or do I have some things in common with all three of them? I, I suggest probably if we really did a, a self-reflective examination of our lives, we would find some, some things in alignment with all three of these groups. The first is, uh, is a person who was healed, the man who was healed by Jesus. Uh, spoiler alert, he gets healed, okay? Um, the second is the, the, what I'm calling the faithful friends, the, his faithful friends who bring him to Jesus. And then the third, we're going to notice that some people were not fans of Jesus. These are the teachers of the law, and I'll call them the opposition. And so I want to just invite you alongside me to to read these verses and reflect on any commonalities that I may have with any one of these three groups of people. Okay, let me read these verses for you. We're going to start in Mark chapter 2, verse 1. It says this. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, The people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside of the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, uh, I'm sorry, get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and after digging through it, lowered the mat Uh, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was laying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there and they were thinking to themselves, why does this fellow think that he can talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. 
This amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Can we all say amen together? Amen. amen. All right, so let's, let's examine this short passage through the lens of these three groups of people, the healed, the faithful friends, and the opposed. First, the healed man. It's incredible to me and stands out to me that this is a person who was brought to Jesus, not of his own accord. In fact, if you really analyze this and, and, th and think really deeply about it, you'll, you'll notice he was carried to Jesus. This suggests that this person didn't really even have the capacity to come to Jesus on his own accord. And I, I just want to stand here and tell you that I am someone who was brought to Jesus, not of my own accord. When I was in high school, an older friend called me up and invited me to a concert. I didn't know that this was a Christian concert. Okay, all right. Old Christian, older Christians in the room. I don't want to suggest you're older or anything, but does anybody know the name Rich Mullins? You guys remember Rich Mullins? Okay, Rich Mullins is amazing. If you don't know what a hammered dulcimer is, don't YouTube it during service, but this guy is an incredible artist. He's no longer with us, sadly. He died in a car accident, tragically. But um, he was playing at a church in Eugene, and a, a buddy took me. I was a sophomore in high school. He played barefoot, I remember, and I remember thinking, wow, barefoot, huh? That's a bold choice, you know, but it is Eugene, so kind of. Um, yeah, so he played, he, he's an incredible musician, and, um, and it really impacted my life, uh, really impacted my life deeply, and I remember this being one of the first things. Ladies and gentlemen, um, you know, part of being a Christian for many of us involves an invitation, and this is a healed person who was brought to Jesus. Now, it's, it's interesting. We don't know if this person was brought voluntarily. It doesn't really say he was invited to come and said, yes, please take me. It's possible he was even brought not, you know, against his own will, but he was, he was invited. It's, it's amazing what an invitation to someone can mean. First, an invitation to Jesus. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about this when we look at the faithful friends, but I, I, that just really stands out. Secondly, this was mentioned this morning uh, for the kids segment as well. I want to just, I just want to emphasize, this is, this is such a powerful thought to me, but the scriptures describe God as a multifaceted healer. Like God has the power to heal us in many ways. And how many of you recognize, like me, that I am, I'm broken in a, a lot of different kinds of ways. My ankle was hurting you know, at, at times, but that wasn't the only place that I experienced pain in my life and needed healing. Wow. And, in, and, in, and in this story, we see two specific healings. Je there's a spiritual healing where Jesus extends forgiveness of sins. Like the, we, our brokenness in our life uh, necessitates healing from God. But then Jesus also heals his body. But if you read through the scriptures, I, I made a list. There's a lot of different kinds of healings that God extends to his people. There's physical healings. There's spiritual healings as discussed. But have you also noticed that there's inner and emotional healings? The Psalms and the Proverbs say that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. Think about Peter's reconciliation on the, on the lake shore after he had denied Jesus three times. Do you think Jesus was in need of inner emotional healing? Do you think you experienced that? Do you need that? I mean, have you ever experienced that in your life? Heck yeah. Unless you're tougher than me. <laughs> How about relational healing? Reconciled and restored relationships. Jesus tells a parable about the prodigal son. 
What is that if not a story of relational healing? And, and I, I believe too that sometimes we focus so much on the individual. It's a part of our culture. We, we care a lot about that. But do you think that Jesus also wants us to experience social and relational and, and communal healing? Yeah. Is our society hurting right now? I mean, we could go on and on about this, but there are so many times, I, I love Galatians chapter three, verse 28, which is perhaps my favorite verse in the whole scripture, but it says that in Jesus, there's neither Greek, uh, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for all one in Christ Jesus. That is a vision of social healing that is profound. Joel 2 says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and your daughters, your old men and your, your young. Who is excluded from the kingdom of God? I like you're shaking your head. No one. No one is excluded from the kingdom of God. Everyone is welcome. There's no division. It's a powerful vision of multifaceted healing. Another thing I notice about this healed person is that three times in these 12 verses, so 25% of the verses that we just read, includes a really weird detail. Jesus tells the guy, I want you to take your mat with you. You guys notice that? Jesus said, I'm gonna heal you and I want you to take your mat. It says it in verse nine, verse 11, and verse 12. This is a weird detail for Jesus to repeat over and over. Why does Jesus do this? Well, uh, my good friend, and, and also I'm not sure, has AJ Swoboda ever preached here before? Yeah. Oh, okay, really? Okay, so you guys know AJ. AJ's a wonderful guy. He's a, he's a, he's a good friend. He just, uh, just dog-sat my dog for me, okay? So he's, he's a great guy. Uh, his, his dog, Diggory, and my dog, uh, Lola, are, are incredibly good friends. But he wrote a book in 2012 uh, called Messy. Um, and so this is a cool book. I recommend it um, for, for you guys. But he has a really great observation about this passage. In fact, it's kind of an observation about a few passages. And I have a, I have a quote up here, so we'll, 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 uh, we'll put it up there for you. Let me read it to you. Here's what, G, here's what AJ suspects about this verse, about this section and others. He's talking about people who are healed by Jesus. So with this new sight, new ability to walk, new life, you walk home carrying with you the very thing that represents the old you. Kind of funny, isn't it? In giving new life, Jesus asks us to carry home the thing that represents the old life. Later, you'd have parties, new friends over, but they'd stand confused, staring at what they see in that coat closet. There before them stands the dirtiest, ugliest mat anyone has ever seen, just dangling there. You'd ask, wouldn't you? What is that? And that's when the story of the old you gets told. Isn't that powerful? Yes. You know what he's talking about here? He's talking about individual and communal memory. He's talking about memory. There's a lot of themes that weave their way through the scriptures. And one of them is the importance, the vitality of remembering. It is so important for us to remember when God does something powerful for us. I just got back from Washington, D.C. I spent a month, four weeks in the Capitol. Have you guys ever been to D.C.? It's an amazing experience. And if you haven't gone, I hope you get a chance to go. It's, 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 it's moving, honestly. Um, I, I spent a month out there studying the Constitution with 65 other teachers. 
It was really cool <laughs> and exhausting, okay? Oh, you're saying I look tired? Okay, uh, I do, I do, I admit that, okay? Um, yeah, it was, it was a really wonderful trip. But many of the days, many of the weekends and the evenings, I found myself on our National Mall. This is a place of communal memory where we have monuments and museums so that we can remember the centrality of remembering. And, and, and it's amazing to read the scriptures because what is this if not a, a, a record of memory of what God has done? It reminds us, it reminds us of who God is, but it also reminds us of who we are and what he's done in our life. In the same way that taking a mat with us after we've experienced healing will remind us. Now, what does this do? It brings glory to God. Notice in, in, in the 10th verse, Mark 2.10, it says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to, on earth to, give sin, to forgive sins. I'm gonna heal this person. It's a demonstration. They said, we have never seen anything like this in verse 12. We've never seen anything like this. It's, it brings glory to God, but also it provides faith for us in challenging times. Have you ever in your life, this has happened to me, I don't know about you, but have you ever in your life experienced something cool that the Lord has done for you, powerful, and then later in life gone through a trial and a challenge in your life and remembered that God saved you before and it's given you faith, it's buoyed your faith that he'll save you again. That God has made a way before and he'll make a way again. And this is why I think Jesus instructs this person to take his mat. Take your mat with you. Don't forget what I've done for you. And this is instructive for us to look to this person who's been healed and to say, I like him, I want to remember the things that God has done. Amen? All right, so that's a, that's a healed person. Let's look now to the faithful friends. And notice that these verses do not use the word friends, right? Faithful friends. These may be kidnappers. We don't know, okay? Um, <laughs> Possibly they just saw a person in need and they're like, let's take him to Jesus. Let's go. Let's take him to Jesus. We're picking you up. And the person's like, where are we going? But what struck me most about these group, this group of these four guys is that they genuinely thought that Jesus could help. The dramatic actions of these people were motivated by their profound trust in the healing power of Jesus. Jesus even remarks on this. I guess he doesn't remark. The, the, the verses remark on this. The verses say that Jesus saw their faith of these four people. I admire them in a lot of ways, to be honest. You know, the thing about these guys is that they, um, they actually uh, believed that the way of Jesus could be a healing way. And, and not only did they believe it, but they believed it so much that it spurred them on to action. Like they saw a person in need and they believed so deeply, like Jesus can help you, man, that they, took, they stopped, they took action to help this person. Now, now, I don't know about you, but I believe deeply that the way of Jesus can heal us. I believe deeply that the way of Jesus can heal me individually, but the, the way of Jesus can also heal us communally. I think Jesus' way can heal our, our, our cities, 
our state, our nation, and our entire world if we look to Jesus as a healer. I believe that deeply. But sometimes I recognize that that's where it ends for me. And I walk by people who are in need that I do deeply believe that Jesus can help. And I, and I, and I don't take action. Does that, does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Sometimes I believe I'm insulated. One of the greatest uh, things I got to do when I was in Washington, D.C. was I got to visit the, it was painful, uh, the, the, the National Holocaust Museum. It was incredibly horrible, actually. It was a terrible experience, moving, but terrible. And one of the, um, a Holocaust survival and survivor and uh, Nobel laureate and author of a number of books, Elie Wiesel, has this quote where he says, to remain silent and indifferent is the greatest sin of all. We have it up here. We can put it up there if you want, yeah. Um, another Jewish person, uh, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, who is active in the middle part of the 20th century and his great contribution, one of his great contributions of many, he's a brilliant person, was um, this uh, thinking about the evil of indifference, similar to Elie Wiesel. He said this, morally speaking, there's no limit to the concern one must feel for the suffering of human beings. And that indifference to evil is worse than evil itself. And that in a free society, some are guilty, but all are responsible. Um, someone who's influenced deeply by, by uh, Rabbi Heschel is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And um, in April of 1963, Martin Luther King Jr., of course, was a, uh, he was a preacher, right? He's a Christian. And um, in, this, in, in April of 1963, um, he and his Southern Christian Leadership uh, Conference were protesting in Alabama. And he was arrested. There was a big protest and he was arrested along with many of his supporters. And and while he was in jail, um, eight local religious folks, um, they call them eight clergy, eight clergy members, wrote an open letter to, to, to uh, Martin Luther King uh, Jr. And what they, they, were, they were upset with him. What they, said with him, what they said to him was, we agree with your ideas, we agree with your goals, but we don't agree with how you're doing it. Uh, we don't want you to cause chaos in our city. We don't want you to... Uh, protest. We don't want you to demand. What they said to Dr. King, and if you, uh, was be patient. Be patient. We'll get all this stuff figured out. Be patient. And from his letter, uh, Dr. King, it's kind of funny because I have my students read this, this letter from the eight clergy. It's about um, three quarters of a page long. And um, Dr. King, from his jail cell, got a copy of this letter, and he wrote a reply, which is I think over a dozen pages long. <laughs> uh, and it's one of the most famous uh, things that he ever wrote called The Letter from a Birmingham Jail. And um, in my view, uh, this is one of the most powerful political documents. It's not just a political document, but it absolutely is in American history. Um, I'll read you one quote, though, that's related to the Elie Wiesel and the Heschel quote. But he says this, we will have to repent. This is a Christian speaking. We'll have to repent in this generation, not merely for the hateful words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. Human progress never rolls in on wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts of men willing to be co-workers with God. I think that this is a big message for this Mark chapter two section we just read. 
that you and I are not called to walk by suffering people. We are called, in the words of Dr. King, to be co-laborers with God. To be informed by our faith that we believe in a God that wants healing and reconciliation. And then to take actions to help people. These are the faithful friends. I notice, um, too, that there's a cultural understanding about disability in the Bible. Um, John chapter 9 informs us. It gives us a hint of how physical disability was considered in these days. Do you guys remember John chapter 9? There was a blind person that was healed by the disciples. Um, uh, I'm sorry, healed by Jesus. And he gets called in by the religious authorities to be investigated. Like, how did Jesus do this? And, and um, yeah, it's a kind of a powerful uh, section. I encourage you, there's a couple of stories in John 9 and, and also John 10. But when Jesus came across this blind person, his disciples asked him a really revealing question. When he first encounters this blind person, in John chapter 9, his disciples said, verse 3, um, verse 2, 1, 2, his disciples said, is this man blind because he sinned or because his parents sinned? This is a really revealing question. You know why? Because it reveals that physical disability, it was assumed, was a result of, physical, of, of sin. What is that, how is that important to, our, to our, our story this morning? Because it would have been really easy for these four guys to walk by a person who, who was, didn't have the use of his legs and think, that guy deserves it. He's a sinner. His parents sinned. He deserves it. He deserves the condition that he's in. Yeah, God can help him. Jesus can help him. But he got himself into it. Let's see him get himself out. But that's not what we're supposed to do. That's not what we're supposed to do. They ripped a hole in someone's roof. <laughs> they ripped a hole in someone else's roof. If you owned this home, what would your response be? I mean, actually think about it. I, when I think of deeply about myself, I would be grumpy. And grumpy is a nice way of saying something what I would really be. <laughs> These people overcame obstacles to bring this person to Jesus. A physical effort of carrying a stranger. I, they gave up their time. They gave up their money. They gave up somebody else's money to lower this person to Jesus. Amazing. And finally, the third group, the opposed. Now, Jesus' popularity in Mark chapter 1, 2, and 3 is juxtaposed with his uh, opposition. It's notable that the first declaration in the book of Mark of, God, of Jesus being um, holy, the very first person to notice that Jesus is holy in the book of Mark occurs in Mark 1 verse 24. Guess who's saying it? A spirit which is possessing a man, an evil spirit. An evil spirit says that he's the holy one of God. 
In Mark chapter two, here, I'll even just list these. There are several stories of opposition. Mark, uh, there's this healing of the paralytic we just read. Um, he's he's uh, criticized for eating with sinners in, in verses 13 through 17. Jesus' disciples were not fasting when John's disciples were, and so the Pharisees were mad at Jesus' disciples. He's accused of violating the Sabbath in verse 23 through 27. Continuing on in Mark 3, he heals somebody on the Sabbath. That's a big no-no. Um, Jesus' family thinks that he's out of his mind. That's a quote from Mark 3:21. Pharisees think that he's possessed by demons. So Jesus is rising in fame, but he's also rising in opposition. Isn't that amazing that when you do good things, sometimes you'll experience opposition? I think the young people would say, haters gone hate. Now, scholars will say that from the very first, uh, from the very opening of Mark, you can see a steady movement towards the cross. This gospel is very cross-oriented. From the opening of Mark, it's cross-oriented. In fact, in Mark chapter three, verse six, it says, the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. The Pharisees are a tricky bunch. I, I, I collected some terms. Let me read these to you guys. Okay. The Pharisees are generally portrayed in the Bible as in unflattering terms. So here's how the Bible describes Pharisees. I'm just going to list them. If you want verse references later, I'll give them to you. Indignant, mocking, scheming, self-interested, accusing, vengeful, brood of vipers. <laughs> Love that one. Hypocrites, blind guides, whitewashed tombs where the outside was clean, but the inside was full of death. Suspicious, pretentious, arrogant, self-righteous, co-conspirators in the execution of Jesus. Those are not adjectives I would want described to me. But it, uh, it's also notable that not all uh, Pharisees were viewed this way. For example, I'll just, sometimes Pharisees get hated on, un, you know, un, unfairly perhaps. I don't know. Well, I don't, I don't know. I'm, you guys can take what you want. But there are a couple examples of Pharisees that are, that are provided as models, right? So Nicodemus is an example in John chapter 3. And then Gamaliel is in Acts chapter 5. These are both Pharisees who, who, who recognized uh, the authority and power of Jesus. But ultimately it seems that the Pharisees were a very religious group of people who took their faith very seriously. Do you know anyone like that? I consider myself to be like this. These are, these are very serious uh, religious people who took their faith very seriously but somehow when, when God, who they had devoted their entire life, it wouldn't have been easy to be a Pharisee, by the way. It wouldn't have been very hard. But somehow these people who had devoted their entire life to serving and knowing and loving God, when God showed up, they didn't recognize him. They committed their lives to legalism. Paul, I don't know if Paul, Apostle Paul, I have to ask people smarter than me. I don't know if Paul is considered, if he's not considered a Pharisee, I don't think. But Paul brags at one point that he had never violated a single law in the, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Testament, Hebrew scriptures. Um, but within a couple chapters of meeting Jesus, they were ready to violate one of the Ten Commandments, <laughs> kill him. The Pharisees and the teachers of law are in a long line of people who love God but mistake hearing him or work in opposition to his will. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not a pet guy. In fact, let me give you an illustration, okay? We were out of town and we had a couple girls up the street come and feed our fish. And when they were learning how to feed our fish, 
I pulled them inside and told them I'd give them an extra $5 if the fish were dead when we got back. <laughs> that's, that's kind of messed up, right? Oh, shoot, there's children in here. Um, in fishy hospital, I meant to say. Um, that's kind of messed up. These fish, by the way, are uh, pretty tough fish. They, they, um, they, they've gone through neglect for years. Uh, so early in the pandemic, one of my, my younger son was, I don't know, we were, we were just kind of worried about him, you know, like, you know, you worry about when social contact gets cut off and he's kind of a quiet kid anyways. And they, my, my whole family, other than me, has wanted a dog and I've been dead set against getting a dog my entire life. I already, I accidentally mentioned already that I have a dog. So you know what happened. My wife won out and we, we, we got a COVID puppy. Yes, this is Lola. Okay, we got a COVID puppy. She, she, just, had her, um, she just had her first birthday. And, um, and I never thought I would be that guy, but I have become uh, the dog guy. I am the biggest fan of the dog in our house. In fact, you can see here's a gift that I received for my birthday. Okay, <laughs> this is Lola. She's a mini Australian Shepherd. Um, and uh, actually, I'll even say I wore some special socks for you guys today, but they made me... Uh, this is, I don't know if you can see these at home, but uh, you might want to zoom in on my ankles. Very, very attractive ankle. No, I'm just kidding. Um, this is the ankle that was injured, by the way. But uh, yeah, you can see that they put not only Lola, but also my face on here. So kind of, kind of messed up. Ma match made in heaven. I love my dog. In fact, when I was in Washington for the last month, I miss my family, but I really miss Lola. <laughs> now, if you would have told me, okay, we, got, we, we, we picked her up on July 20th of, of last year. Um, and if you would have told me a year ago today that you're going to get a dog and you're going to love her, I would have probably laughed in your face, <laughs> okay? Um, but, you know, I, I, I recognize that in the same way that I, I didn't think of myself as a dog person, but really I am, you know, I don't tend to think of myself as if I'm a Pharisee, but I recognize in many ways in my life, I, I, I have some, some alignment with them, unfortunately, in, in not good ways. I recognize, I consider myself to be really religious. I consider myself to really love the Lord. And I wonder if there are places where people like that, like me and like the Pharisees, where they really love the Lord, but sometimes they don't recognize what he's doing and they actually act in opposition to what he's up to. Like, like, think about this. The, the creator of the universe showed up and forgave a person's sins and the Pharisees were like, pss, pss, blasphemer. No, this is the person you've devoted your whole life to. You know, like your whole life, you've devoted your whole life. We have to stay sensitive so that we don't become conscious or unconscious opposition to the Lord. Remember the story in, uh, remember the story in 2 Samuel when, 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 uh, when the prophet Nathan confronts confronts the, the king. It's a bold move, by the way. Confronts the king and he tells a story. This man had 99 sheep. And this one little guy had just one little cute little sheep. But that cute little sheep took a bath on the roof. You guys know what this is about, right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of conflating two stories. But, but this, is, this is the prophet confronting David about his, his, his affair with Bathsheba. He, he and so he tells him this story, you know, this 99 sheep, he steals this, the lonely sheep from this person and David becomes outraged. Do you remember this? And he said, this person needs to be put to death. And what does Nathan say? I have goosebumps thinking about it. What does Nathan say? You are that man. You are the man. You're the one that stole the sheep. You think he deserves death? 
And sometimes when I read through this and I put myself in here, I realize that my own frustration at some of the stories in here is actually about me. And that Nathan may say to me, you are that man, Tyler. But in some ways, I don't think of this as a negative. In some ways, I think about this as a positive because when, (laughs) it doesn't feel good, I'll tell you that. But when we hear those words, you are the man, it gives us an opportunity to align ourselves with God again and to repent. In conclusion, there's three people in this section, the healed, the faithful friends, and the opposition. I ask you, do, do you find alignment with any of these people? I recognize in many ways, I'm, I, 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 unfortunately, I'm not proud of this, but I recognize in, 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 in many ways, I, I'm opposed to God sometimes. I recognize that I'm also in need of healing. But what I'm most excited about this morning is the faithful friend section. You know why? Because to me, that's what church is. Like as I was reading this, I was thinking about, I was like, this is a vision for the church. We're excited about what God's doing. We have great faith that, that, the, that the scriptures describe a God who is relevant and active in our lives. And we want to take great steps. You know, we want to host a soccer camp. Do you think, you, you guys are smart, you know this. Next week's not about soccer, right? I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. Next week's not about soccer. It's about introducing people to a healer. Yeah, that's good. You know, like this church, I know this church. And I want to just, I just want to end with one encouragement um, f- for you guys. Because I, I, I recognize that reading a story about people who pick up a person without the use of their legs may feel overwhelming. You might think, you know, I, I want to be, I want to be like, um, someone who does this, but I don't, I'm not strong enough to like pick up someone physically, <laughs> you know? And that's fair. And I wanna, I wanna leave you with this. I just wanna say, to be a faithful friend doesn't require tremendous like physical or financial effort. Here, here's a poem by, by Emily Dickinson that I came across that I think is so powerful. Here's what she says. If I can stop one heart from breaking, I shall not live in vain. If I can ease one life that's aching, or cool one pain, or help one fainting robin unto his nest again, I shall not live in vain. It's one person, one action. It's all it takes to be a faithful friend. Amen. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, we we thank you for your scripture, which leads us to all truth. This powerful story is we're studying the miracles, uh, your miracles this summer, God. We're impacted by the great things that you have a capacity to do. We're, we're impacted by your great love for us and your desire to be a healer. You are a great healer, Lord. You're a multifaceted healer. In the many multitude of ways that we've experienced uh, uh, brokenness in our lives, spiritual, physical here in the story, but also relational, emotional, and Lord, social. We care about where we live. We ask for your healing touch, Lord. 
and where we can be co-laborers with you, God. Would you please speak loudly enough for us to hear and then give us courage to not just harbor in our minds your healing ability, but to also extend that healing ability to others through action. We love you so much, Lord, and we thank you so much for this church and for its leadership, for every member who comes here, Lord God. We, we, we sign up. We're on, we're on the team, Lord, and we thank you. Uh, thank you for this story, which has inspired us, Lord. In your name, let's all say together, amen.